All right, on today's episode of the Church Photographers Podcast, we are going to jump back into a conversation that we started last week. We got so deep into all the things that we wish we knew when we started out that it turned into a monster episode. And so we are going to jump back into that. You are going to uh, continue to glean from our mistakes and learn valuable insights that I hope will fast track you as a photographer. But first, I'm Rob Water. And I'm Connor Strickland. And, and this, this is, is the Church, Church Photographers, Photographers Podcast. Podcast. I think this is going to turn into a two-parter. I think it is. Um, and so it's probably a little late to be saying that right now because we're probably in part two of our podcast. Probably. Um, but hey, if you're listening and you, this is part two, we've made the decision to go to two parts. But we're going to keep going, man. I think there's so much we can go into what we learned uh, or what we wish we knew when we first started that I think is worth continuing on this. So 100%. listener, bear with us. Yep. And, and you're welcome. Maybe you're on a long drive cross country and there's nothing else to listen to. So you're just going to keep on trekking with us. All right, let's talk about photo management. Every photography team needs a place to store and share their photos. And when I first started my team at Summit, we tried everything. We tried Dropbox, we tried Google Drive, we looked into galleries like Smug Mug and Pixie Set, but they all had something missing and just something didn't work quite right. That's why we started using Fluoro Photos. Fluoro is a central place for growing photography teams to upload, tag, and share their photos. Uh, with Fluoro Photos, you can put an end to rogue Dropbox links, you can grow your photography team beyond just yourself, and you can make it easy to upload, tag, and search your entire photo library. Our entire photography team can upload their photos directly to Fluoro Photos. They can tag them by location, event, ministry, topic. And when it comes to finding those photos, our entire staff team can search Fluoro Photos and instantly find the photos that they need. For a limited time, Fluoro Photos is offering a free church photography guide to church photographers, podcast listeners. Inside that guide, you'll get a church photography checklist for all the must-have shots for any church event. You'll get camera recommendations that won't break the bank, and you'll find examples of moments that you can capture in your service and so much more. So you can get your copy of this great guide from Fluoro Photos by visiting churchphotoguide.com. Again, that's churchphotoguide.com. Com, churchphotoguide.com to get your copy from our friends at Fluoro Photos. All right, so hey, here's here's uh, number four that I have on my list for yep. gear, and that's flash. Oh, a big conversation. Here's the thing. When you're shooting in your auditorium, don't pull out the flash. Please do not. Don't be that guy. Especially if you're trying to be discreet about it. Right. Everyone's going to know. Yeah, that completely like undermines all of your, your effort to dress in black and to stay in the wings. Then you pull out the flash and everybody's head turns. Yep. Um, I still wish I knew how to use uh, flash well. 100%. Uh, I've, I've uh, really just started investing in, in speed lights mm-hmm. and light modifiers uh, probably in the past six months or so. Yeah. Um, down the road, we will put together a speed light course for our course library as well. So keep uh, an eye out on that. We'll talk about all the things that you need to know about speed lights and off-camera lighting, yep. on-camera lighting, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so like flash. Tell me where you are with flash. To be honest, I feel like I'm practically a beginner. I am still barely dabbling with anything, especially speed light. I have a background in film lighting and film in terms of videography, not old school film photography, lighting and three point lighting and all of that stuff just from my daily 
out shooting video. So I can do that when it's a constant light. Mm. But when it comes to speed light or flash photography, I don't know where to start. I actually had a shoot. And I was like, oh, it might be a good time to get, get a flash. Went out and bought it, started using it. And like the first half of the photos, I could barely even use. Mm. I was like, I have no clue what these settings are. Mm. So I ended up just taking it off, going back to the exposure triangle and was like, okay, I know this. I'm just going to focus on this and not even worry about doing a, a, a flash. Mm. And a live event is not the best place to learn how to use your flash for the first time. Right. Yeah, definitely. It takes it, For me, it was like, you know, I, I invested in my gear. Um, I realized that I didn't have the gear that I needed and reinvested in my gear. <laughs> yep. Uh, then pulled my kids into the kitchen and set up a little, you know, fake studio with like, you know, my, my two-point lighting setups, my three-point yep. lighting setups. Uh, popped flashes in their eyeballs until they probably need glasses now. <laughs> yep. Uh, learned that way, um, and then took it out into the real world, and then, then realized I had to relearn everything that I learned. Yeah, um, a couple of things that I wish I knew starting out with Flash. And by the way, if you do not know how to use Flash or you're uncomfortable with Flash, you are probably in about ninety nine percent of the population. Hundred um, percent. So don't feel bad about that. It is a. It, it, there's like so many concepts that just like completely start to like bend the rules yep. of everything you you learned. Yep. So the one one thing that I I discovered early on is that um, whereas when you're shooting with ambient light, that's the light that's naturally mm-hmm. available, your your um, exposure triangle includes a shutter speed, ISO, and aperture. Yep. But when you're shooting with flash, your shutter speed makes no difference most of the time. Unless we're talking about high-speed sync, and we'll, yep. we'll talk about that in the course. That's yep. not for... That's too much detail for a part right yep. But your flash is going to, like, no matter how fast or slow your shutter speed is, your flash is generally going to put out the same amount of power, and it's going to put it out over just a small duration of the time that that shutter is open. So if you say, if you're shooting with flash, and you're just like, all right, well, I know my exposure triangle... This image is too bright. Let me bump up my shutter speed. Not going to see a difference. Not going to make a difference. Nope. And so that's where you need to go to ISO or uh, or aperture on your camera, or you go to your flash and you adjust the power. Yep. Um, and so you know, flash introduces flash power. It introduces flash zoom. And so those are all uh, concepts that we're not going to go into right now, but we are going to do a full course on how to use the speed light from a basic level yeah. because I mean we're not we're still basic yeah um, we'll show you how to do it both in an event situation and in a portraiture or headshot situation yeah absolutely so now Rob what happens after I've shot an event or a service and I've got hundreds potentially thousands of photos that are now on my car that I've got to all float onto something else what does that next process look like after the photo after the event because as a photographer we know you don't just shoot an event, and then just dump all those photos. Right. There's got to be some type of system in place. Yeah, now we're talking about workflow. Yep. And workflow is a whole other discipline that you need to learn as a photographer, um, which, again, like I think every one of us who has come any length of time on a journey in photography can look back and be like, yeah, that used to be a mess. Yeah. And I've made some mistakes, and I've, I've re- reworked those mistakes. Yep. Um, and so there's a couple things to consider in um, in workflow. Uh, I think the the fundamental thing you need to be aware of and to be on point with is managing your library. I'm going to talk about that second though. Yeah. So like um, when when it gets when you're like fast forwarding two five years down the road and you've got this digital photo library, like what you do now is going to make a big difference down the road. Absolutely. Um, but first I want to talk about post-processing and post-processing is like, you know, probably going to be a little bit more accessible for folks listening, uh, who are early in their photography journeys yep. because they don't have 500 gigs of raws in the cloud. Like I do. Yep. <laughs> um, 
Post-processing refers to what you do with an image after it comes off your camera. Just like in the film days, like you used to have to send off film for processing. Mm-hmm. Like the the actual analog image that was captured on that film needs to be turned into something. Yeah. And something needs to happen so that you have a workable image. Yep. Same thing with digital. I take a frame on a digital camera. Like because it's digital, it might look good right off the camera. Um, if you are doing what we would recommend and shooting raw, yeah, um, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Yeah, um, your camera is not going to do any post processing or very very minimal post processing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're shooting JPEG, you can do some post processing automatically in the camera. Yeah, but you're going to get a lot more mileage out of learning to do post processing with raw images. Absolutely, in a app like Lightroom. And so there's other alternatives out there. Lightroom is kind of still the, the one that's most popular. There's yep. Capture One. There's some free uh, open source solutions out mm-hmm. there. I'm a Lightroom guy. And so when I teach, I'm going to teach Lightroom. Um, but uh, post-processing processing refers to what you do with that image in Lightroom. Mm-hmm. And so it could, it could be as simple as I'm going to pull them into Lightroom. I'm going to hit auto white balance. I'm going to hit auto exposure and you know, tweak it from there. Um, some things to watch out for if you are a beginner mm-hmm. and you're learning to start using Lightroom or similar to post-process. Number one, auto settings don't often get it right, particularly when you're dealing with photos in a live, like worship, yep. preaching with environment. Some funky colors and lighting systems and everything yeah. else. So it's going to be like if, like if it happens to be a blue backdrop. The cameras, or the Lightroom's going to see that and say, "Oh, hey, it's really blue. Let's make this super blue, orange." Yeah. And then your pastor turns into a Noopa Loompa. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you're like, oh, "This isn't what I asked for," yeah. and you get frustrated and you, and you ditch it. Um, or uh, one other thing that's that's super common in auditoriums or like live uh, photography settings is going to be a purple cast to your mm-hmm. light or a very orange cast to yep. your light, depending on what types of light is used. And so the I think for, for beginners, what I would recommend here in post-processing, number one, don't over-process. So I have, I have over-processed work. Um, I actually did an album cover for a band, and every time I look at it now, I'm like, ooh, man, what was I so thinking? So much, yeah. That was like looks so unnatural, but it's kind of what they wanted, so it worked out. But with it, yeah. Um, and I see so many other photographers over processing, like that clarity slider in Lightroom yeah. is so tempting, and it can make your images look really un- unnatural. Yeah. Which, if that's your style, great. Um, that gets me to point number two: style. Yeah. Um, develop a style. So don't just you know, you know, go out there and snag a Lightroom preset and like match that button over and over and yep. just like let another photographer dictate your style. Uh, learn how the different settings within mm-hmm. Lightroom or whatever tool you're using um, affect the image and have a vision for what you want your images to look like. Um, within the, fir- the church photography world, though, uh, we need to be aware, one, as photographers, that um, we are shooting alongside of a team yep. and that across that team there's going to be a variety of styles so yeah. it could be hey i'm like there's photographers on our team that have like a very light and airy like family portraiture kind of style yeah and then there's going to be like like me i'd come in with like this this crushed black like grungy matte like yep. you know live music kind of style um and if you're a team leader 
this is one of the biggest challenges you have because you need to figure out how do I take those extremes? How do I bring them a little bit closer together yep. while still making sure that our photographers can feel have like their they're own expressing style. themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as a photographer, like do whatever you want, yeah. and but just have a style. Like, yeah. You know, I've got some friends who shoot live music, and I'm like, man, like I, like I wouldn't make those choices, but when you do, they look good. They look great, yeah. Um, and you often get hired because of your style. Yep. And but then realize that as when you're shooting as a team, you need to kind of tone down the extremes and mm-hmm. kind of keep it toward this the center of uh, minimally processed. Yeah. Uh, so post processing, have a style and be aware of the style of your team as well. Yep. Hey, Connor, let's talk about what we have going on over at churchphotographers.com. Yeah, Rob, we know how hard it is to be a part of a church photography team. We both serve as photographers at our church. You lead our photography team. So we experience the challenges that leaders and volunteers go through every week. That's right. And that's why we're excited to announce the launch of a brand new resources for church photographers and team leaders, churchphotographers.com. At churchphotographers.com, we're building a vault of free resources that will help you grow as a photographer. And if you are a team lead, lead your team well. Yeah, all this and more can be yours absolutely free, but you do need to be on the list. We don't allow just anybody in here. So, Connor, tell them how they can get access to the goods. Yeah, you can get on our list by joining our online community, Church Photographer Nation. To do that, head over to churchphotographers.com. That's churchphotographers.com. Click the free resources button and sign up today. And then once you're in, you'll have access to all of our goodies, past, present, and future. You'll also be the first to know when new resources are available. And so if you want in, and we think you will, head over to churchphotographers.com, give us your deets, and we'll send you those resources your way. I think the uh, another big discipline that I wish I knew early on is how to manage your library and how to do that well. Yep. Especially, like you said, now at the point where you have 500 gig of raw files. Right. Uh, for me, the the pain point started to become when uh, when I had a uh, my MacBook Pro only had a 256 gig hard drive, mm. and raw files are big. Huge. And if I go and shoot one event, I will fill up a 64 gig card. Yeah. Right. So like I got to dump all my images. I got to cull through them and select the, the images that I want. Delete the rest right away. Yep. Uh, but even so, it was like very, very quickly. I filled up my hard drive. Yeah. So then it's like, all right, I need a solution. Where, where are my images going to go? Yep. Um, and I didn't re- really understand how Lightroom could save catalogs. And catalog, yeah. I didn't realize how Lightroom libraries worked. And uh, you know, Lightroom is is not a, making changes to the uh, the initial file. Mm-hmm. It's saying, hey, these are all the changes that we want to make to that initial file. And then when you export, it applies them. Yep. So your your raw images are still intact. Um, and you can then export your, your settings. Yep. Um, this isn't a huge deal when you have a dozen albums, but it's a much bigger deal when you've got 500 gigs of raws. Um, and so... Um, when uh, when I hit that point and started looking to solutions, um, I'm going to tell you the route that I took, and this isn't the route that everybody's going to take. Um, I went to Lightroom CC, mm-hmm. and so there's two versions of Lightroom out there, and this could be confusing if you're if you've never really used it or if you've been you know using Lightroom Classic for a while. Um, but probably about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, Adobe spun out a new product called Lightroom CC, and it's available on i on your tablet. It's available on your phone. Um, and it's available on your computer, mm-hmm. and they maintained it, the the initial version of Lightroom called Lightroom Classic. 
um, to they do the same thing for the most part. There's some some subtle differences in feature sets, but they do it in very different ways. Lightroom Classic, uh, by default, is going to store all of your images locally on your hard drive, yep. whereas Lightroom CC, this is why I went this route, is storing all of my RAWs in the cloud. And so all of the images that I import into Lightroom CC are then offloaded off of my device and stored in the cloud. And so I've got a MacBook Pro with a terabyte hard drive now, mm-hmm. but still, like I've got literally 500 gigs of, of RAWs yeah. in the cloud. Uh, if you're a more prolific photographer than I am, you probably have a lot more than that. Yep. Um, and you know, if you're dealing with hard drives, well, hard drives fail. If you're dealing with like you know local storage, your your local hard drive is going to fail. Yeah. You're going to run out of space. Um, I chose Lightroom CC for those cloud features. When I did that, going back to post-processing, I made some concessions in workflow and I made some concessions in features that I, like uh, when I'm shooting, uh, you know, I shot Mother's Day portraits for a friend's church. Yep. I did tether capture. So yeah. I like plug my laptop or my camera right into my laptop. I can't do tethered capture in Lightroom CC, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go back to classic. So you make some concessions there. Um, but uh, having a system for managing your library is going to be huge. Yep. Now, one thing that you touched on briefly was talking about RAW files and RAW versus JPEG. Would you mind briefly going into the difference and the advantages of shooting RAW over JPEG? Yeah. So uh, the number one thing that I would tell a photographer uh, that's starting out regarding RAW versus JPEG is shoot RAW. Mm-hmm. If you do the use the RAW plus JPEG feature on your camera, great. But here's here's what a RAW file is and why it matters. The raw file is a, uh, a just the the data that your sensor is capturing, all the light data, uh, just dumped into a file. No processing done to it at all. And so, um, a lot of times, if you have a overexposed or an underexposed image that you're looking at, like man, like this is this is garbage. I can't use this. Like yeah. this is nearly black, or this is like completely white. Um, you can do what's called shadow recovery or highlight recovery. There is more data stored in that raw file than your your eyeball can process. Yeah, like you look at that and you're like, "When man, that's a really dark image." But then when you get it into Lightroom, and you um, you pump pump up the exposure, you can actually have a workable quality image. And yeah. some of the best images I've ever captured have been images that I thought were garbage, that I brought up the exposure. And there was data in that image that my eye couldn't see, that I couldn't see in my preview screen, mm-hmm. that I couldn't see uh, in Lightroom when I first imported it. And it turned out to be a really cool photo. Yeah, we were actually meeting the other week, building out one of these courses, and you were talking about this exact mm-hmm. topic. And you showed me a photo, and it was just a black screen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, this is what came out of the camera. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a great photo. It's pitch black. And in the very next photo, you were like, this is it after post-processing. There's blues, there's colors. You can see people worshiping. You can see the band. You can see everything. But all that came from a black screen. Yeah, it's going to go into our conquering poor lighting course yeah. that, we're, that we're working on. And we'll show you examples and, and how to recover those things. Yeah, too. it was mind-blowing. So, yeah, just uh, know that. But when you shoot JPEG, a lot of that data is lost. Yep. So a JPEG is a compressed image. File size is going to be much smaller. You can get more photos on a, on a card. The corollary is that the raw images are significantly larger. Yeah. Um, and they take up a lot more space, but you can do things with those raw images that you can't do with JPEG. And so as whenever you branch out beyond absolute beginner and you start to look at processing your images, shoot raw, mm-hmm. you're not going to regret it. Absolutely. Man, so this has been a doozy of a show. Yeah, two-parter. Two-parter, absolutely. Um, but that's 
I feel silly saying this, but that's all the time we have for <laughs> our, our shows today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, man, Connor, how can they find out more about the show? Yeah. So if you've enjoyed this episode, stop what you're doing, open your podcast app and find the Church Photographers Podcast. And yeah, hit that subscribe button. It really help us out. And while you're at it, also leave a rating or a review. We're still a new podcast, and so every review, every subscriber helps. We want to be number one in that trending podcast list. Absolutely. Uh, we also have realistic expectations, of course. but every little bit helps. To find out more tips and tricks, check us out at churchphotographers.com. All right, Connor, before we go, I want to tell our listeners about our production sponsor, our friends over at Simple Church Co. And I can say uh, genuinely here that they are our friends because, Connor, you are my friend and you are the mastermind behind Simple Church Co. So how about you give them the pitch? Thanks, Rob. Simple Church Co. is on a mission to make church marketing, well, simple. We offer a unique pay-as-you-are-able model, allowing us to work with any church, any size, and most importantly, any budget. You aren't paying for our services. Instead, your, your contribution is helping your brothers and sisters spread the gospel. And that's awesome. I, I so appreciate the work that you're doing to serve the church. Uh, and so if our listeners are interested in working with Simple Church Co., how can they find out more? To learn more about Simple Church Co., please visit simplechurch.co. Once again, that's simplechurch.co. That's simple.